Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, where we teach you how to make money and how to save money while traveling the world. And one of the amazing ways of traveling the world is by being a pilot or working in the airline industry. And uh, for the first time in over 230 episodes, we have a captain, a pilot on the show. And uh, you know, uh, we actually had the opportunity of interviewing um, uh, Silvio's wife on the show as well, uh, Lori. So, uh, and then now we have the husband. So we've uh, I'll actually have the link uh, to uh, Lori's interview below so you can listen to that one. And, uh, you know, we actually talked a little bit about the perks of being married to a pilot. And now we're going to hear it from uh, her husband itself. Uh, so Silvio Wa, uh, um, it's actually spelled R-O-Y. But for those of you into hockey, you will know the famous Patrick Wa and not Patrick Roy. So Patrick Wa. So Silvio is actually originally from uh, New Brunswick living in Ontario, working for Air Canada as a pilot. So we're going to be finding out a little bit about uh, Silvio's background and uh, how he got into the airline industry and how he became a pilot. And we'll also be uh, giving you some tips if you are considering becoming a pilot yourself. Uh, so super excited to have you on the show, Captain Silvio. So the Captain Silvio Wa, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. Okay. Um, I was born, as you said, I was born and raised in New Brunswick. Uh, background... Uh, I did the first part of my career as a military. So I started as a uh, communication electronic engineer for the first 10 years of my career. And after that, I switched over to a pilot in the military and uh, finished my career, military career, 25 years uh, as a pilot. And after that, I switched over. Um, I got hired by Air Canada and I'm with Air Canada this time for the past uh, 11 years. Awesome, and I'll definitely be going much deeper into your uh, current career with Air Canada, but I'd love to hear a little bit of your military background uh, when you served for the Canadian military. Tell us a little bit about your experiences uh, as a pilot, uh, which uh, countries were you traveling to, where were you based, and tell us a little bit about uh, that experience of your life. Try to say which country. It'd be probably easier to say which country I haven't been to in the military than countries I've been to. Um, a lot of the countries I've been to, Actually, when you are in the military, and especially with a, a career like uh, I was doing, uh, it's usually, you look at the news, and you look at the news a little bit differently, because when it's often in the news, chances are you'll end up in there. Uh, places like uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, Haiti, or if there's a, uh, there was a, uh, a crisis in East Timor back in the late 90s, for instance, we were involved in that. So you look at the news quite a bit differently because you know you're probably going to be involved in it. So there's, uh, there's quite a few stories to tell about that, and I don't think we have the time for telling all of those stories anyway. Well, you did mention stories. So i got to ask you at least one. I know we don't have time to cover all of them, but what was some of your maybe one highlight or one particular experience in the military that really stood out for you? Well, uh, the last uh, four years in military, I was uh, search and rescue. And uh, probably, if not probably, it was by a long shot the most rewarding part of my career because, um, and most and one of the most challenging too, because nobody gets hurt or lost or in distress in a beautiful sunny day. It's always a dark, stormy night, right? So uh, there's some instances uh, there's one instance in, in particular it was in northern quebec and it was an airplane that had crashed and we managed to find it northern quebec is considered a mountainous area and uh low clouds at night and we managed to find the airplane 
and the search and rescue technicians, those guys are absolutely insane. And those guys are the people that you want to have on your side. Uh, they jumped off at the airplane in the middle of the night in the forest to save those people. And we saved two people that night. So that's, that's a beautiful story. Wow, yeah, definitely congratulations on that one. Uh, so I'm curious to know, uh, you know, you shifted now, you're no longer in the Canadian military, you've shifted to uh, working for Air Canada, one of the major airlines in our home and native land. I'm actually from Vancouver, so uh, I've definitely flown Air Canada a few times. I'm not sure if you were the pilot when I flew it, but uh, definitely mm -hmm. love Air Canada. Uh, tell us about the shift. Uh, why did you leave the military? And uh, tell us about, uh, you know, the move from uh, being a military pilot to an airline pilot. Okay, well, I was, uh, as I said, I was 25 years in the military. So 25 years in the military, it was time for me to uh, make a decision. Am I going to finish like another 10, 15 years in the military and then finish uh, working there, retire for good? Or will I switch to, um, to another airline, to an airline, for instance? Uh, so what I did is I applied to Air Canada, and if Air Canada would have said no, then decision is made for me. That's easy. I'll stay in the military. I already have a job. Uh, the airline said yes, so I had to make a decision. At the time, it was either uh, I stay in the military, and uh, the way it works in the military, if you progress in rank after a while, they'll take you away from the flight deck, and they'll put you behind a desk managing other pilots and managing a squadron or whatever the case may be. So I was getting to that point, and uh, I really did not want to go back behind the desk because that's what I did when I was an engineer. So Air Canada offered me a position, and I took it. So that's why I moved over. Now, the life uh, as an airline pilot is very different than military. Military, um, you know, they order you to go somewhere, and that's what you're going to do. That's, that's your job. Uh, in the airline, uh, it's much more compared to the military. The flying is, is much more mundane. It's not nearly as, as challenging. It is challenging, but it's not nearly as challenging. The, the bigger challenge comes with trying to keep the schedule and trying to make the, uh, the passengers comfortable and to provide a good ride all the way through. So it's a different way of uh, thinking of the, the flying. So now you've been employed by Air Canada. I'm curious to know about uh, some of the highlights. Um, you know, obviously you get to fly a lot and uh, see different parts of the world, but uh, tell us a little bit about um, your experiences on a very honest and real level in terms of both the good and the bad. Well, the good, uh, the good is you, every time you go to work is different. Uh, the, the challenges can be the weather or the aircraft itself or uh, the, the rules or regulation. It could be, um, you know, there, there was a period of time a couple of years back where um, there was a volcano that uh, erupted in Iceland and that blocked a lot of air traffic around the world. Or it could be um, a few, a couple of years ago, actually, I went down south towards the, I believe it was Barbados. And where they had me scheduled, it was in between two hurricanes. It was kind of interesting because where we flew was beautiful, sunny sky, and it was nice, smooth ride. But if I looked to my right and to my left, you could see the big storms, which is kind of interesting. Uh, at this time of the year, for instance, you've got the uh, meteor shower you can see at night, which is a wonderful thing to see. Um, you can see the, uh, 
uh, you can see the northern lights it's it's just beautiful it's a new experience every time you go to fly every time it's different and it never gets you know you never get tired of it the bad side though is it's very difficult to um uh it's very difficult in a family uh, you're away often you're away a lot so you need to have somebody uh, as a spouse who's going to be strong at at home and be able to handle stuff when things are not working well uh, i can give you an example a couple of years ago um about three or four years ago uh the furnace let go middle of the winter and i'm away so laurie she's a very strong very uh dedicated woman very strong powerful and she handled it while i was away i said do you want me to come come home she says why would you why two people would freeze instead of just one so she took care of it so you, it, those are some of the disadvantages uh, advantages of uh, flying uh, now if you fly for an airline obviously there's, there's an obvious perk of being able to get uh, you know uh, fly on standby which is a minimal fee but it, uh, there is a fee but it's a minimal fee compared to the regular regular fares so there are some advantages there are some perks and there are some not so good so as stuff about it especially on the family side on a home front home front i used to say yeah good on you for having a supportive uh spouse you know Lori's amazing uh from the little i know of her i've only interviewed her for about 20 30 minutes but uh, uh you know good on her for being so supportive and also with your son obviously um you know i actually alluded to the to the project behind you but uh, uh you might as well talk about that project behind you of uh uh, your son creating the amazing thing uh uh the artwork um uh, the christmas present uh, might as well describe that here uh, for the people listening and watching too well he was uh he's quite ingenious uh, what he did is he took a map of the world into a shadow box and uh, went on facebook asked me and asked laurie uh all the places the countries we've been around around the world and he put a uh, green green pin to all the places I had been alone, a pink one for all the places Laurie's been alone, and a white one for all the places we both have been. So it's uh, it, and then he added some uh, some pictures to it from the album and from Facebook also. So he did a very nice job. That was hours of work. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. He's definitely set the bar high for us uh, sons uh, <laughs> to to <laughs> give credit. For me too, yeah. For me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm curious to know um, if people wanted to become a pilot. Um, I know you did it a little bit differently because first you were in the military and now you're in the airline. Uh, but if people wanted to uh, maybe become a pilot for the first time, uh, what are the requirements? What is the training? Uh, what is the number of um, you know practical experience in terms of flying uh, hours on the in the air, etc.? Okay. Uh, first thing I would say is you, you don't want to go. And become a pilot for the money because uh contrary to popular belief uh, most of the time as a pilot you will not earn that much money for the first 10-15 years of your career you will have spent probably a hundred thousand dollars to get all the courses all the ratings and everything else and the first five to ten years uh you probably gonna be earning about as much as somebody working at mcdonald's there's nothing more working at mcdonald's but you don't have to spend that much money and that much effort and time to be able to get all the, the requirements. Um, yeah, so basically when the money starts coming in is when you 
or flying for one of the major airlines. The way I did it, uh, as you alluded, Ricky, is that I started with the Air Cadets. So when I was 17, so I basically I learned to drive, and about two months later, I learned to fly through the Air Cadet program. It was a scholarship. And then I went through the military, and I kept my uh, private license going and uh, got my instrument rating. And after that, after I did my 10 years as an engineer, I switched over to military pilot and then did the rest of my training. Um, they are, there's a, without being too technical, technical is a bunch of licenses uh, that you can get as a pilot. You can have the recreational pilot license, uh, private pilot license, commercial airline pilot license. Uh, you can think of it like uh, different uh, driver's license, for instance. You can have your motorcycle license, your driver's license, your uh, transport license, for instance. And then with that, you can have the different, uh, you, you have to have the different um, ratings. You can have your night rating, instrument rating, multi-engine rating, instructor rating, etc. You can think of it like uh, uh, transport, license, uh, transport driver's license. They have to have another course for air brakes which is not a license, it's just an additional course. Okay, So once you've got all of that, and that'll take a few years to go through all of that, um, then you need to have the experience. You need to have a minimum of 1,500 hours of flying experience before you are allowed to go and apply for your airline transport license. So it's a, a number mix of courses, ratings, and experience before you can get to that point. So that takes a few years. Did I answer your question? Yeah. So if someone wanted to start off, uh, basically, uh, I, I know you did a little bit differently, but if someone wanted to go right into, uh, you know, working for, uh, if they're in the U.S., one of the three major airlines, or Canada, or you know, obviously any of the other airlines around the world, um, what would you say for them to start if they wanted to jump directly into uh, the airlines? Uh, they can't jump directly into the airlines. They have to have all of those uh, courses beforehand. So uh, there's a couple of ways of doing it. And there are some airlines in the U.S. that have uh, what they call a cadet program. So basically, you pay for the entire course. And it'll take you, like I said, uh, two, three years to get all the courses. And then it'll hire you uh, as a first officer on a regional airline, for instance. The uh, typical way to go on a civilian route is you go to either a place like Seneca College or Sioux College or something like that, either a college or a um, flight school. And from there, you'll get all the licenses and ratings and, and everything else. So that's the way you can get the ratings. Now, after that, you have to go out on your own and get the experience. Right. Oh, it makes sense. Uh, you know, uh, something I'm curious about, and I think a lot of people are curious about this, is when you go into a cockpit and you see a a whole bunch of different things in front of you, you get very overwhelmed as a passenger or just as a non-pilot. Uh, so I would love for you as a pilot to explain it to us as non-pilots. What are all those different contraptions inside the cockpit? <laughs> I would have to be able to show you. Uh, basically, yeah, basically there are the controls that are necessary to fly the airplane or information you are, you are required to have or control uh, in order to fly the airplane. Uh, you have your throttle, your flight controls, your rudder pedals, um, fuel uh, selector, fuel pumps, fuel switch, 
uh, pressurization system, electrical system, hydraulic systems, etc. So uh, for any aircraft that are heavier than 12,500 pounds, which is kind of an odd number, but that's what it came up with, any aircraft heavier than 12,500 pounds, you need to have a type certificate for that airplane. So you need to be qualified to fly that type of airplane. Below that, you only need to have a check ride on it, so for entrance purposes. So the check ride may be just a few hours and you're done. Whereas a type certificate is probably going to take a month, maybe two months to, uh, to get qualified on that type of airplane. So just to tell you all the buttons and everything else, besides being on the flight deck and toilet and show you and everything, it's kind of difficult to say. Uh, no, I, I, I totally get it. I mean, obviously, you need to be there and, uh, and point it out. Uh, but uh, it is uh, pretty fascinating, uh, you know, being in the, the cockpit. And uh, my kids love it. You know, uh, and uh, most airlines are really friendly. They and they usually put the captain's hat on the kids and take a little picture there. And behind you see these different buttons and devices. It is um, very overwhelming. So, I mean, obviously, you've learned uh, it uh, quite thoroughly. And you have to use most of them. And, and I know, obviously, et cetera. Um, also, I'm curious, um, when you're flying, um, walk us through uh, the actual flight. So when you're in flight, uh, how much of the time are you flying? How much flying? Walk us through kind of, the, and how and, uh, are you taking naps, etc. Walk us through the logistics of the actual flight in the air. Okay, you're broken up a little bit there. Um, I think you wanted to see uh, basically walk, uh, walking through a typical flight. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you can walk us through uh, uh, how much of the time are you piloting, how much are you piloting, how you take your, your, uh, your breaks in terms of the eating, maybe a quick nap. Uh, walk us through the logistics of actually uh, flying. Okay. Uh, long distance. Flying long distance. Uh, typically, uh, the, the captain and first officer will meet in flight planning. We'll get the flight plan, which is uh, normally uh, uh, compiled by the uh, dispatch. And we'll have a look, and if we are satisfied with the, the airplane and the fuel and the weather and everything else, then we'll walk to the airplane. At the airplane, uh, usually on the way there, we'll decide between the two of us who's going to fly the airplane and who's going to be the pilot monitoring. So pilot flying, pilot monitoring. Um, because uh, both the captain and first officer are just as qualified to fly the airplane. Uh, the only thing is that the captain signs for the book and ultimately is has the last word. If there's a discussion between the two, the captain has got a last word and is ultimately responsible for the airplane. Um, so now we can walk to the airplane, we decide who's going to be flying the airplane, who's going to be pilot monitoring. Pilot monitoring usually handles the landing gear, the, uh, the flaps and talks on the radio and we'll do the fuel calculations and everything else. Pilot flying usually will do the flying and concentrate on the flying. So if there's any type of emergency, anything like that, then the division are already set as to who's going to be flying, who's going to be handling the emergency. So we get to the airplane, and then we do all the pre-flight checks. We've uh, entered a flight plan into the, uh, the aircraft. Once everybody is ready, the airplane's been fueled, catered, baggage are on board, everybody's ready, and it's time to depart. Then we'll push back, we'll get the clearance, and then we're on our way. Uh, typical long flight, uh, whoever is the pilot monitoring, uh, pilot flying, will stay the pilot flying the entire time. 
unless he needs to take a break, let's say he needs to go to the lab or whatever the case may be, then they'll switch control. And we'll say very clearly, you have control, and the other pilot will say, I have control. And then we know exactly who's got control at any one time. It's very uh, regimented in this way. When it comes time to eat, we usually eat one at a time. Uh, so there's always one pilot at the control. And if we need to take uh, a nap or a rest, it's actually regula uh, regulated through Transport Canada as to the procedure to do it. And uh, it's, it's written down. Usually we have to advise the flight attendants, okay, one of us is going to uh, go for a nap, uh, call us in half an hour, for instance. So that way we make sure that we don't both fall asleep. It would be a bad day. Um, so, and then we arrive before the descent, usually a couple of hundred miles away. Uh, so about 45 minutes before landing, then we'll go through the weather of the arrival, what type of approach we're going to do, how we're going to proceed for the approach, we brief it, and then we start the descent. And uh, once we land, uh, then we coordinate as to where we're going to have the gate and everything else. Usually the gate is already assigned hours before we even get there. And then the post-flight check. That was great. Yeah, that was great to uh, really summarize everything from the beginning to the end. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, pretty much uh, all details. Um, you know, as a passenger, I think, um, and as most passengers uh, probably can relate, sometimes we get frustrated. You know, the plane's late, uh, either arriving or when you're in the area, and also sometimes you're on the runway and you're waiting, you're like, why? What's taking so long? And obviously, um, when it stops, uh, people are like all getting up, getting their uh, carry-ons, and they're trying to rush off. Uh, so I'd love to hear from a pilot's perspective. How is that like uh, in general? Because obviously, from a passenger's perspective, we get frustrated and we don't understand the bigger picture. What's happening? So let us uh, enlighten us. What is the bigger picture? Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I actually quite happy that you bring that up. Uh, quite often, what happens is that. Um, Either there's weather or a line of thunderstorm or something like that that prevents airplanes from going a certain, a certain area. So instead of sending the airplane and having them holding in the air, burning fuel and going nowhere and then coming back to the airport having to refuel, they just hold them on the ground, which makes sense. Okay. Other times could be uh, very busy airports like uh, LaGuardia, Washington, D.C. or JFK. Uh, what they'll do is they'll, if the airplane, if the airport becomes too busy, too congested for that time, is they'll say, stay on the ground. When we have a slot time for you, then we'll let you go. And that's what happens. So a lot of the time, that's, that's what happens. It's either weather uh, contendent, uh, a reason is either the weather or uh, because the destination airport cannot receive us at this time. It's one of those things, usually. Uh, when we arrive at the gate, uh, that is one of my uh, things I really don't understand why people do that. You arrive at the gate, it's 200 people, and as soon as you turn off the seatbelt, or maybe sometimes in some occasion quite often before you turn off the seatbelt, everybody unbuckles and get up and try to get out. Everybody's going to arrive at the gate at the same time. I can promise you that. I mean, nobody, I haven't seen the back person or the front person arrive at the gate at the same time. Everybody arrives at the gate at the same time. So might as well sit there and back, relax. When your time comes, then you get up, pick up your stuff, and you can walk away. Um, one time I was sitting at the back of the airplane, and I knew the size of the airplane. I knew it would take me at least 20 minutes before I can move. 
And as soon as we are off the gate, seatbelt goes up, everybody gets up. I said, ah, just let's wait. We just waited another 20 minutes and then went around to our channel, picked up our stuff and left. Uh, another thing I don't understand is uh, quite often you'll have the seatbelt light on or sometimes off during the flight if it's smooth. But even if the seatbelt light is off, uh, there could be some occasions sometimes where unexpectedly we could have some turbulence and people could be injured by the, the turbulence. The airplane should be fine, but people can be injured by that. And what I don't understand is at the front, on the other control, I have my seatbelt on every time I'm seated. Why don't people do the same thing? I see, and I've been reported by a flight attendant, quite often people will have their drink standing next to uh, their buddy and, and in the aisle and having their drink and talking to them. And those will be the And while we, they're doing that, they're going over 850 kilometers an hour through the air, and those same people will be sitting down with their seatbelt fastened in a traffic jam going 20 kilometers an hour. To me, it doesn't make sense. But. So what would you say to uh, those passengers? Because um, you, obviously, um, there's a little bit of a disconnect. Passengers, we don't understand from a pilot's perspective. And you, as the pilot, probably have more understanding because you bring both a pilot and passenger. Uh, but what would you say to passengers? Because, um, uh, I mean, obviously, you do the recordings on um, when you're flying. And you say, please sit down. There's turbulence, et cetera. But uh, now you have the chance to talk to literally hundreds, if not thousands of people on a podcast. Uh, any, any things you would say to a passenger? to make their airline experience better from the wisdom of a pilot? I would say listen to the flight attendants. Listen to what is said on a PA. Uh, the best thing for you to do, the safest thing for you to do, is to be seated with the seatbelt fastened. Now, to be a little bit comfortable, you can loosen the seatbelt. There's no problem there. But please, uh, if you're going to be in the airplane flying, like I said, over 800 kilometers an hour through the air, and we don't know, we may catch a little bit of turbulence all of a sudden. It's a lot safer for you to have your seatbelt on. Uh, if you need to go to the lab, well, you have to go to the lab, then, then go. It's not a problem. But once you're done, go back to your seat and buckle up. It also allows the flight attendants to be able to do their job a lot easier, to be able to go up and down the, the aisle a lot easier, and everybody gets a, the better service that they're hoping to get. You're about to say something? No, no, that's great. Uh, you know, I am like 10 hours just asking you questions. I love the wisdom and the insights you're sharing with us. I'm going to ask you one final question, which is kind of a, um, you know, creative one. Uh, I actually find um, uh, flying kind of like a miracle, the fact that we're able to get into this uh, metallic object. We're able to fly from one end of the world to literally hours and uh, soon quicker with the modern day technology. So. How does it all work? Because for me, uh, I, I don't know much about the mechanisms of flight, but uh, I find it really um, almost like uh, ingenious. And every time I'm on a plane, I'm actually super uh, grateful for this experience of being able to point A to point B. So do you know much about the mechanisms and what do you want to share with us today? Uh, yeah, you, can, you have to understand the entire mechanism as a pilot. That's, that's the basic of things, because if you don't understand it, then you may uh, do a wrong maneuver at the wrong time and then with uh, very dire consequences. Um, the, it, I can tell you this, and this much, it, it never gets old. Um, 
basically the, the idea is the, the Bernoulli principle and Newton physics all together. It's a matter of energy. You have the, all the wings a little, has a little bit of a camber on top. So the air goes a little faster on top of the wing than below the wing. And by doing that, it creates a little bit of a uh, low pressure on top of the wing and that creates a lift. So that's how a wing flies. Now there's a lot more uh, beyond that. There's also a center of gravity. Uh, everything has got to balance towards the middle of the wing. If it's too much forward, the airplane will never take off. If it's too far back, the airplane will take off, but it'll take off, stall, and then come back down. So it has to be weight and balance. So that's why uh, when they assign you a seat, we ask you to please be seated at that seat for the takeoff and the landing. After the takeoff and landing, once the airplane is flying at full speed, you can move around. It's not that big of a deal. But for the takeoff and landing, it, people have to be in their seat. Uh, a small airplane, I don't know if you have ever experienced that, but on a small airplane, sometimes they last uh, for men to be seated more forward, or women a little bit further back, or something like that. And that's the reason, it's the weight and balance of it. There's a, there's a lot of physics uh, involved, and it's all you've heard in the high school about kinetic and potential energy. Well, airplane works on kinetic and potential energy all the time. So you can use your kinetic energy to go climb higher or use your potential energy to go faster when you descend. So it's all a balance of, of energy and Newton physics and Bernoulli principle. Easy like that, right? Easy just like in uh, physics. <laughs> yeah, you can make it easy, but it's, it's, it's easy in principle. It's another thing to make it in practical. That's why we only got to, I mean, human have been on Earth for over 100,000 years, and we've only been flying for just a little over 100, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like I said earlier in the question, I find it almost like to fly from point A to point B. Uh, so what do you feel the future is? I mean, uh, you've been in this industry, uh, you know, about 30 plus years uh, in the military and uh, in the airlines. Tell us what do you think the future holds in terms of flight generally? Um, I think it's going to get safer. I hope it is going to get safer. Uh, it is definitely... For, uh, I can tell you, for pilots, it's not getting any simpler. It, in some ways, uh, a lot of computers are doing the job for uh, the work for us, but in other ways, it is making the job more complicated for us. Um, how can I give you an example? Think of it, uh, if you're driving a car, uh, a car 30 years ago, if you drove a car, and you, depending on the sound, you could say, okay, well, you know, I need to adjust the carburetor a little bit or adjust the points or something like that. You can't do that in modern cars because it's all computers, right? So if one of the computers on a car doesn't work well, then you have a big issue. Where's the problem? It's a little bit like that with modern airplanes because modern airplanes is computers, a bunch of computers and computers monitoring computers also. So if one computer doesn't work well, it can make our it makes our job very easier when it work well, but when they don't, it can make our job a lot more complicated. So we need to find a way to be able to either shut down the computer or bypass it. So you become almost like a um, a computer engineer at the same time as a pilot. 
and weather person also because you you're flying through the weather all the time so Uh, so I just wanted to thank you so much. Uh, quite enlightening uh, to me as the host, but also I am sure to all of our listeners and viewers, uh, they're going to really enjoy your insights into uh, being a pilot, into flying, and into how to be both a better passenger and a, and a pilot too. So thank you uh, for your time today. Thanks for being on our show. Thank you. Really enjoyed this job. Thank you very much for the interview. You're welcome, and uh, I just wanted to say this as well. I'm sure you just from your passengers, and I know it's a hard job, and uh, you do your best. So I just wanted to say, as a passenger who flies uh, quite frequently, I just wanted to say thank you for being a pilot, and thank you for the job you do. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you are welcome. And uh, thanks again for tuning in to this episode. A very different than we uh, cover, but uh, I think it's very important to cover this topic about uh, how to be a better passenger, how to understand, and, uh, you know, even uh, to learn a little bit from the pilot perspective. Uh, so, uh, so make sure you, uh, you know, uh, ask us some questions if you have any questions, and I'll make sure that Silvio will be able to answer them for you. And uh, thanks everyone for tuning into this episode uh, where we covered how to fly how to be a pilot, and much more. So thanks again, Silvio, and we'll catch up with you real soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thanks, everyone. Make sure you leave us a rating and review on this episode. We love uh, Leave us a comment. Uh, you know, uh, make sure you share as well. I think this interview can really inform uh, people on, um, you know, uh, flying and uh, being a better passenger. So make sure you share it with every person you know. Uh, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you in the next episode. Happy flying, and uh, see you soon. See you now. See you up in the air. Bye bye.